Hello, welcome to the Why God Why podcast. This is Peter Engler. John Amayo, our co-host, just gave yeah. me this big face. I did, I did. I, I was a little shocked. You, you, you shocked me right there. I, uh, I you was jumped right, right into it. It I, was like you were. It was like a cannonball. We're in the summer recording this, and it sounded kind of like a cannonball jump in. I have two words for you. Yeah. Casey Kasem. Anyways. Okay. Casey Kasem. (laughs) All right. Well, we are here to answer the questions that you might not feel comfortable asking in church. Um, John, I forgot to say, he is the area crew director, Dylan Carnival, our wonderful producer. And we are here with one of my friends, Heidi Baguma. And Heidi is going to answer the question today, why God, why are interracial relationships so complicated. So I'll get started. John, you can add into our pre-conversation. You know, I think, you know, we've been talking a lot about race. We've been really responding to current events, and there's definitely a ton of facets on this. And I think something that we don't always talk about is what happens when a white person marries a black person. You know, what's that experience like? There we go. Wow. There you go. That is that is one thing we don't often talk about. And uh, I, you know, I mean, this is kind of a a personal thing for me as well. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, My, you know, during our conversations that we've had about race here, oftentimes people will say, John, you know, you know, as a white man and that's true. I I do externally look white um, as the genetic lottery would have it. That's kind of how I turned out. But uh, my mom is Native American, full Native American. My dad is is Italian. And somehow I turned out like this. I don't know how. Mm. But that's, you know, you know, the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. So anyway, I I've grown up with this tension my whole life of living in two totally different cultures. I mean, if you want to talk about two totally different cultures, you got Italians and Native Americans are really diverse group of, of people. So I've lived in that that world and have experienced it firsthand. So that's one of the reasons why I'm looking forward to this combo, along with the fact that my wife is, her mom is Scottish and English, and her dad is from the Philippines. And so again, now we're raising kids that uh, you know, they, they're from all over the world and we're trying to help them identify, you know, where, how do they process their identity as human beings? So um, this stuff gets complicated really quickly. I think we should acknowledge that on the front end. This is not something that you just sit down and you just come up with all the solutions right away. But I think it's important for us to have a discussion about it so that we bring things out into the light. So anyway, Heidi. Welcome. Thank you. It's so great to have you with us. Great to be here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, maybe we could start off this way just by, you know, we kind of reflect on our own experiences and in, in things. But how about growing up, the people in your life around you, how was the idea of uh, interracial relationships, how, how were they perceived by friends and people in your community as you were growing up that as far as you know yeah so I would say growing up they were not ever talked about Mm -hmm. I grew up in a small town and there was one black family in my high school Mm -hmm. um and 
So I don't know that there was a lot of discussion about it because it wasn't something that anybody was dealing with or there wasn't a lot of interracial dating because there wasn't different races. Sure. Sure. So it was just kind of a non-topic at all. Right. Yeah. It just wasn't discussed. Didn't need to discuss it. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, and I think for a lot of people listening, that might be the case for them. And it could be different cultures that they've come from, that that's what they've experienced. There hasn't been a lot of melding, but that I think is getting different in a lot of areas in our, in our country right now. But so now you are somebody who is now involved in the midst of Yes. In, in a rela- interracial relationship. That's a tough one to that actually say. One. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so how, uh, how maybe, maybe first and foremost, how did you meet your husband? Give us a little backstory on your relationship, if you could. Sure. Yeah. I actually met my husband in Uganda. Wow. Um, on a mission trip. He was working with the organization that I had gone with. Um, and then two years later, he had reconnected with my dad through Bible school. And we had kind of reconnected at that point. So that was in 2008. And then we dated long distance. And I only saw him twice in five years. Wow. And then in 2013, he came over for us to get married. Wow. wow. Hold on. That is a crazy story. <laughs> that I mean, yeah. crazy in a good way. Just just not the norm, no, right? I mean, you say all. long distance, like we talk sometimes about long distance relationships, you know, like, oh, they they live an hour and a half away or, yes. you know, whatever. No, you're talking like the other side of the world, long distance relationship. Yeah. And you'd only gotten together twice. And the first time we got together was when we got engaged. Wow. Yeah. So that's, I, I, I want to, yeah, well, <laughs> no, it's not crazy. I, I just don't have a paradigm for it, right? I mean, I think most of us don't have a paradigm. So what's going through your mind as you're like going, I'm going to marry this guy? Like what what brought you to the point where you're like, we haven't been together, but I think this is the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with? Sure. So when I went on a missions trip to Uganda, the Lord had really started stirring in my heart that I had wanted to go back. Mm-hmm. Um and I didn't know what that looked like or how that was going to happen. And then um, two years after that is when David and I had started talking. And I think the thing for us that was really good for our relationship is because we weren't together, it was all communication. Mm-hmm. So you really had to get to know the person. And you couldn't just walk away when you were upset. Like you had to talk about it because – that was the only way you had to communicate. Mm -hmm. So I think for us, it helped us build a really strong foundation um, because we were asking those questions and it wasn't something you just took for granted Mm -hmm. because with him living in Africa, it's not like we could talk every day or we could have go out for coffee and just talk. Like it was, you took advantage of the time that you were given Mm -hmm. based on the circumstances. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that I've experienced about, you know, that, as I say, growing up with two different cultures, right? I think communication is one of those things that's a huge difference between cultures sometimes. Yes. Right? And, uh, you know, the, the Italian, I'll, I'll just go back to mine, just, you know, personal example here. Mm-hmm. Italians tend to be 
out there and in front of you, uh, even when you don't want them to be. They're just kind of like always talking about whatever it is that the, yes. a thought comes across the mind. It's out there. Uh, Native American culture, often quite different, more reserved, not going to be as out in front and just say everything that's on your mind just to say it, you know? So um, in the context of your relationship, having to work through those communication barriers ahead of time, I'm sure was helpful. Mm -hmm. But what were some of those communication things that came up that you go, oh, wow, this wasn't the, like we're operating on two different, wavelengths here yeah did that happen or no i, mean, I, I don't want to assume that that's yeah i would say um when you talk about dating somebody of a different culture and it's not even like they grew up in america and they have partially an american culture and partially italian or right. whatever other culture they come from he was strictly african yeah and so it was interesting I mean, when you talk about weddings, when you talk about relationships, when you talk about um, families and raising children and all of that, we're, no pun intended, but we're black and white in the mm. situation. Like we are, we grew up totally different. Right. Um, in the way we were brought up and the things that we were taught in culture. Mm -hmm. um, and so... I mean, something as simple as in Uganda, the bride's family will pay for the husband to get married, right? So yep. they give a dowry. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of like, oh, well, what does that look like? Because I'm not African right. and because we're getting married in the States. Like just things like that that you have to be like, okay, well, what's our culture? And that's mm -hmm. always been my husband's biggest thing in our relationship is, yes, you're American, and yes, I'm African, but together we're making our own culture. Mm. And so because of that communication, it made it a lot easier because of his mindset in that. Yeah. So both of us came to the table saying, where's the medium? Like, mm -hmm. what do we want for us and our family? Yeah, and I think you have to kind of do that, right? You know, when you're, and you don't have to. I think a lot of times couples who come from different cultural backgrounds, one culture will, my observation is one culture will tend to dominate the other. But I think healthy relationships bring the positive of both cultures in right. and are able to navigate that in a little bit of, you know, some nuance and create kind of a, a separate culture that is, that is really healthy too. Mm -hmm. What are some of those things that you guys have looked at in your relationship and you've gone, here's some of the positives that we want to bring in, or you've described kind of making this new, this marriage as a new culture. Like yeah. what are some of those things that you want to be true of the culture that you're creating as a family? Well, first and foremost, we've talked about how we raise our boys. Hmm. Um, we have three boys and another one on the way. Wow. And congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. And that has been our biggest, like how we parent them affects them, not just today, mm -hmm. but it affects them for their whole life. Sure. And so I feel like right now in our life, mm -hmm. it's how do we raise our children to love Jesus and to be men of integrity and to be men that can help make our society a better place. And so I feel like for us, 
that's been a hard conversation mm-hmm. and probably our hardest conversations since being married. Hmm. Because when it affects you or it affects your spouse, you're adults. Like you know that you're going to be okay, even though it hurts because you understand sin Mm -hmm. and you understand that people don't always treat you the way that Jesus would want them to. Mm -hmm. But when you're trying to teach that to your children, it becomes a lot harder. Mm -hmm. Do you know what's fascinating about what you just said is, you know, I have a hard time talking about sin. Like, I think the world's, the biggest critique that they have is, is sin. Like, you know, well, I'm not imperfect and, you know, I'm special and, and all that. But you're even in this interracial relationship like it's almost as if I don't want to say sins and encouragement, but it helps you like reorder even the way you parent in a way that if you didn't have the story of the gospel, you couldn't. Is is that true? Yes. Tell me more about that. So I think my husband and I have talked a lot about this um, in talking about race because, I mean, I think it's important to understand that my husband grew up where he was majority, his race was the majority. Right. And so when we moved there after we had gotten married with our first baby, I became the minority for the first time in mm. my life. Mm. Um, and it's different how racism can benefit you or work against you. And so when we were in Africa, I would say that there was racism, but it was to my benefit because I was American and I was white. So they had all these assumptions of me that could work to your benefit, but then you're like, but that's not who I am. Mm. Um, so how did that work? Can I, can I yeah. stop you there? Because this is something fascinating and that I would love to just yeah. hear more about. Like how, how specifically did that look for you? Like what, what advantages could you have had as you were living there? It would be... Advantages would be you could get whatever you wanted um, and people always uh, would treat you better because you were American or because you had white skin and they were almost fascinated by you. Um, But then disadvantages, like when I would go to the market, I would be charged four times what my husband would be charged Mm. because I had white skin. Mm. And they thought that I had a lot of money. Yeah. And so it got to the point that my husband's like, listen, we're either going to have strong discussions with these Ugandans that are trying to charge you too much money, or I'm just going to go to the market and get the food for you because, I mean, he didn't even want me to be seen because then they would charge him more money because Uh, he's with a white person. Got you. So. Got you. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of dynamics to that. Yes. And that's just one little, I mean, that's just one little example of mm-hmm. a, a million, I'm sure. But I well, appreciate you delving into that. Well, and I think, so first of all, like, it's interesting we're answering this question and both of you have experience in this. And and I, I, I don't know, this is the first time I'm really hearing about a white American living 
as the minority in another country. Like, do you think that that helped you understand when you came back to America, like a little bit of what David was going through? Like, that's just so fascinating to me because it just seemed like, you know, looking back on it, even the way you described it, you realized a few things. I mean, how do you think that helped you and informed you? I would say it helped me significantly know what it feels like to walk in and people stare at you. Because mm. um, we would walk into a restaurant or we would walk into the mall and it was like all eyes on me because I looked different and I was white with a black man. Um, and I would say that uh, being here in the States, it has helped me realize that sometimes people do look at David just because he's black. Mm. And you can feel the tensions. And then when I walk up beside him or we start in a conversation, you can almost feel it. People just relax more. Like, oh, like he's not whatever I had preconceived that he might be because he is with a white person or he, I mean, and so that was just different because I felt that way in Uganda mm. and he feels that way here. And so I just think even though we didn't live in Uganda for a long stretch of time, I do think that it has helped our marriage for me to be more sensitive to him being minority here but i would say that it's still something that i don't fully understand um and that comes out in conversations where i'm like well, why are you stressed and i'm like oh right because of the culture that we live in and so if i'm not careful it's very easy to get back into that why are you worried i'm majority like it's not always a concern for me unless i keep it at the forefront of my mind realizing okay, this affects my husband, this affects my family, this affects my children. Mm. Mm. I want to come back to something that you both have kind of shared with me, and you just brought it up here. You know, David came from, you know, a place where he was the majority, and then he came here and became the minority. You know, what, what was that change like for him as opposed to, you know, we know a ton of black people that grew up in America. They just kind of always accepted I'm the minority in some degree or fashion. Don't want to over stereotype, but you know, like just facts are the facts. The data is the data, but here's David walking in from a country where it was his homeland to America that it's different. Talk about that process. So David is a very humble man and he, I would say has kept a lot of the struggle to himself mm -hmm. um, and hasn't voiced it a lot um, because he would just brush it off as, well, why are they asking me extra questions or why are they asking or why are they asking for my ID or like all of these things where like when you step back, you're like, oh, well, they didn't do that to my wife. Mm. And so, um, I mean, it even happens at the doctor's office. When David will take my kids to the doctor, they ask for payment at time of service, and then they question his insurance. But when I go, they're like, okay, thanks, have a great day. Mm -hmm. And so for him, it's been an adjustment where 
he is starting to realize that it's racism and not people just questioning. Mm. Um, and I feel like because of all of the racial tension in our culture, I feel like we both have been drinking from a fire hose trying to figure out where we fit in it because he hasn't grown up mm. with the racism. Mm. He's experiencing it as an adult. Mm. And so trying to find out what, like, what does this all mean? Yeah. And how does this affect me as an adult to help raise my boys when they're going to experience it as children? Mm, yeah. When he didn't experience it as a child. Right. Wow. Wow. There's a lot of emotions that get associated with that. Like, yes. that is not light things to delve into. So, you know, I'm even trying to just put myself in those shoes and go like, what would that be like to experience that as an adult coming into a new culture and experiencing kind of the dysfunctions of a new, of a new culture in that intense way. And the dysfunction that affects you because of the color of your skin. Right. Like, it's not just dysfunction that yeah. is broad. It's right. dysfunction that is landing on your doorstep. Yeah. That's directly at you. Well, you know, so I imagine as you're navigating this, this, there are times where you probably do well together and you're like, this is fantastic. You know, everything is clicking on all cylinders. And then there's probably times, maybe not, maybe not for you guys. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, where you're like, man, they're just just we can't seem to get beyond this conflict. Mm. of like the, there's this clash maybe it's of cultures or personalities and maybe you, sometimes you're trying to figure out what is what but um what do you find the the biggest those biggest issues that kind of you have a trouble working through or the the common things that you have let's say discussions about sure right? <laughs> so i think it's funny dialogue yeah dialogue <laughs> yes <laughs> I think it's funny how our conflicts have grown in seriousness over the years. Like mm. when we first got married, I would say, what would you like for breakfast? And he would get, I don't want to say mad, but he would get frustrated at me. Like, whatever you have for breakfast is what I'll have for breakfast. Like, mm. because he grew up not having an option. Uh, gotcha. Like, whatever was put in front of you is what you ate. Like, yeah. You weren't given options. And so I'm like, I'm not just going to make a decision for you. Like, these are your options. What would you like? And so, like, something so trivial at the beginning of marriage, you're like, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Like, yeah. he can't even decide what he wants for breakfast. But then, taking a step back, I'm like, how privileged am I mm. that I have, I can walk in the store and have two sides of an aisle filled with cereal. Mm. and what I can pick from. Right. And so for me, that was my own issue of like, okay, take a step back and see where he's coming from over breakfast, right? Yeah. But then now I see conflict in, I mean, even the way we raise our children because mm. cultures are raised so differently based on what is acceptable right. in that culture. Um, so disciplining and how we want our children to behave. We both want the same end result. Sure. But how 
do we get to that end result has been a lot of conversations, dialogues, (laughs) heated discussions um, of what that looks like. Mm -hmm. And so I think, and I don't know that that's different for other people because I'm sure based on if you're a white couple or a black couple, your families both raised you different. Mm -hmm. So I just feel like it's magnified because we're talking about two completely different upbringings in the sense of poverty and not poverty in a third world country. And I mean, just so many different dynamics than my parents chose to do this and my parents chose to do that. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's pretty significant difference. And yeah, you know, speaking as a kid who's raised in two different cultures, I I would say your kids are going to do okay. Look at me, right? Well, no. <laughs> but, but you know, John. No, they'll probably be hosting some on. podcast someday. Hold, hold on, and then talk. <laughs> well, I mean, because I mean, your kids are wonderful. We'd love to have them on the podcast. They're not ready yet. But John, like, what was that like for you? You know? Yeah. Or- well, I mean, I so a lot of my youth. So I I I grew up in this home where my dad was Italian, my mom was Native American, right? But a lot of my youth was spent in Pennsylvania in the middle of Pennsylvania Dutch country. Uh, So I knew no Italians, no Native Americans other than my extended family who were all far from me. So I was part of this third culture that I never felt like I fit in anywhere. You know, mm -hmm. no matter where I was, I didn't feel like I had a real solid. So our family was the only place that I got to live out either of those identities, Mm. Italian, Native American. I wasn't like, I I only could live that out in the context of our home and what that meant in the context of our home. So for me, it was pretty confusing. And then, and then I think on top of it, the fact that as a kid, I had blonde hair was like a weirdest thing in the world. Like, and I still don't understand. I mean, I have these family pictures, right? You know, my mom looks Clearly dark skin, dark hair. My dad is the typical Italian guy. You know, he's got dark hair too. And this kid is blonde hair and he's their son. My, people used to question my mom all the time. Never thought, you know, whether I was her son or not. Wow. And uh, same actually with my wife's family because my wife is darker skin, darker hair, and her mom is blonde. So, so she had the opposite experience. If we're together, people will often think I am my mother-in-law's son and Laura, my wife is my mom's daughter. So yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird dynamic. But anyway, so that's my experience. Well, I mean, listening to John, how do you resonate with that with your kids? So we've actually had this conversation because... My husband is African. He is not African American. Mm-hmm. He's African. Right. And I'm American. Can you yep. can you help our listeners understand that? Cuz I think that that's really like my husband's African, not African American. Help help our listeners understand yeah. that. So, he is not from America and he is not a citizen of the United States yet. Mm-hmm. Yet. And so, he was born and raised in Africa. So he is African, mm-hmm. where other African Americans in the United States have been born and raised in the United States, but they have ancestry that goes back to Africa. Yeah. So he doesn't have any American in him. 
He only is African. Right. That's super helpful. Continue. I'm, I just think our listeners need, because that's yeah. a big thing. Like, we're talking about, um, I'm probably going to get BIPOC. Um, uh, did I say that right? Is it BPOC? Uh, it's uh, black people of color. I think that's a new phrase that's being used, black versus African-American. Oh, but anyways, yes. the, the question is, how did you resonate to John's experience with your kids? So it's interesting because I've really struggled as a white American wanting my children to feel like they fit in Mm -hmm. and wanting my children to feel like they can choose what culture they resonate more with. Um, And it's hard in America because it's hard to find African culture, right? Um, the African culture that my husband is from. Mm-hmm. And so American black culture is not the same as Ugandan black culture. And so even if I were to um, try and find them more influence, I feel like the best place they could get that would be in Uganda. Mm. Um to see where their dad grew up, to see the culture that their dad is from. Um, And so I feel like it's hard because you don't, they're going to be stuck between two worlds Mm -hmm. of, well, I mean, just the other day, Lucas asked me, mommy, am I a white human or a black human? Mm. Um, And I was like, well, you're both. Mm. And he just kind of looked at me. And he's like, so I'm African and I'm American. So I'm African-American. And he's only five. Mm. And I was like, yes. But where we live, if you tell people that you're African-American, that is completely fine. But I want you to understand that they're going to say that you're black. Mm. And he calls himself, <laughs> he calls himself brown beige. That brown? is his color. <laughs> because he yeah. calls his daddy brown. And he calls me beige. Uh-huh. And so his color, the only way he can understand it is he's brown beige. Yeah. And yeah. that's fine. Yeah. I have no problem. That's what, he's, that's what he is, how he's making sense of yes. his situation. Yeah. And so that was kind of a conversation for me that I was like, you're understanding more than I thought you were understanding. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so it kind of turned up the heat a little bit for me and for David. How do we address this going forward? Right. Like I want him to know who he is. First and foremost, I want him to know who he is in Christ. Mm. And that needs to be his driving force. Mm. But he also needs to know where he comes from and know his culture, whatever that may look like. Mm. Um, And just having those conversations and kind of letting him lead them to what his mind is understanding. Mm-hmm. We've opened the door for him to talk about it. Um, but I don't know. No, that's that's so, so powerful. Um, I want to back up just a moment. Yeah. Um, you know, the movie Loving came out. Um, you know, we just, we celebrated, was it the Supreme Court that said it was okay for, oh, yeah. yeah, for black people to marry white people? Like, this is, like, it's, this is 50s. 50s. This is 50, 60 years ago. Yeah. Like, 
I mean, just to hear that, that's crazy. But I want to back up to you and David. What was it like having conversations with the people around you about marrying a Ugandan? Hmm. Um, I think it's more that he was Ugandan more than he was black, their concerns. Um, but it came from both sides. David had a lot of people saying, why can't you marry somebody from Uganda? Why do you have to go marry a white girl from America? Like, it's not going to work out. You should just break up with her. And then from my side, are you sure he's not just looking for a green card? Are you sure that he really loves you? Like, and so it's hard to know if it was because he was black or if it was because he was from a third world country. Hmm. Was it, uh, help us understand that. Yeah. Um, was it because people's perception of Uganda was the political climate and things like that? Or was it something else? Is that kind of what you're saying with that? Or how would you explain that? I would explain it by saying that people are uneducated. And I don't know how to say that nicely. <laughs> <laughs> that so is I'm nicely, just, actually. Uh, yeah, that's that's so that, that's, gonna, that's actually the nice way to say it. Like, yeah. I just can't tell you how many questions I get asked when I say that my husband is from Africa or that I lived in Africa. Like, they're just thinking of what you see on TV and the media, and that doesn't portray the truth of Uganda or the truth of any country. Because it just doesn't. So you're you're saying that there was a perception about yes. the okay, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes that does make sense. And I, I think about as I hear you talking here, there's there's so many things that you guys have had to walk through that a lot of people haven't. Mm. Um, but I imagine there's probably some some ways in which you've been strengthened actually as a couple because you've had to like, Absolutely. you know, as you walk through painful things and stressful things, it's kind of like working out. You know, you're, you're you're exercising muscles that you don't normally exercise that other people might not have to exercise. Mm -hmm. So, what are some of those strengths that you say, man? I'm really thankful for this part of our relationship. You know, although no relationship is perfect, like the things that we've had to work on that I'm really thankful that it's that it's turned out like this. Sure. Um, I would say that one first and foremost, it's David's faith in God. Like it never, ever wavers. Mm. And I wish I could say the same for me. Mm. Um, but he believes that God's going to show up no matter what. Mm. And I 100 percent put that to the way he was raised and the culture that he was raised in. Mm. Um, because we, uh, my family, I won't generalize, my family, we had struggles growing up. Like my dad was in ministry my whole life and that just has its struggles financially or any way you want to look at it. Um, and I would say, man, we were poor. And then God opens your eyes to what poor really is. Mm -hmm. um, and David just saw God show up every day in his life. 
and his parents were Christians and they just taught him like, God's going to provide, God's going to do this. Like he's got you when it's easy for us to just go to the grocery store and put it on the credit card if you don't have the money or there's ways that America has made it that you don't necessarily have to have the money. You can mm. figure out how to make it work. Mm -hmm. But in Uganda, they don't have credit cards. They don't have all of these things that we have to make it. Mm -hmm. And so really, they believe that God's just going to do it. And mm -hmm. God does it. Yeah. And so we have walked a lot of hard roads in our marriage um, and I would say that a lot of times David's faith is what has carried us. Mm. And I would say that it has given me a different perspective of who God is. Um, that you can trust God for the big things. Mm. And I would say before my marriage, <laughs> before I started dating somebody that lived in a different country, I don't know that I had to trust God in big ways. Mm. And my husband has had to. Yeah. And so once we started dating and then when we had children that were born with health issues and so many different things that have come our way, it's been his grounding and his faith that has carried me as a weaker person to make me a stronger person. Mm -hmm. I, you and I have talked a lot. Uh, actually, I just had lunch with David. You know, we've, <clears throat> we've talked... I think it's going to be important. George Floyd gets mm. killed. The video's out. And, um, you know, you and I have just had this conversation. I always knew it was an issue. Like, I always knew it was complicated. But something happened with George Floyd that it just seemed like in your life the volume got turned up. Um, you know, we're friends enough, I can say. The, yeah. The, the Facebook messages. Mm-hmm or the Facebook posts, Instagram, help people understand why. Sure. I would say, I'm going to try and do this without crying, that when David and I first got married, we were both very naive to the depth of racism in America, mm. um, which is white privilege for me because I've never struggled with that. And David, it's because he lived where it was, he was the majority. Mm. And so um, I would say that when everything happened with George Floyd and when the racism and the tension started to rise, I felt like it was my time, now that I have three boys and another little boy on the way, um, that could have, that could be them. Like they could be that black person that somebody doesn't treat right. Or my husband could one day not come home. And so I just felt like it was my turn to speak out. But it was so important for me to speak out with grace because I want to be, sorry. Oh. Because I want to be that person 
that people feel like they can ask questions of. Mm. And I want people to see Jesus in my responses. Um, and so I have been trying to be careful about what I post because it's easy as a mom with black boys and a black husband to get angry. And mm. I don't know that anger is wrong because it's sin. Mm. Um, but I think that um, if we don't have these conversations, nothing's going to change. Mm. And people have to feel comfortable to ask you questions and you have to be almost a safe place for them to feel competent to come and talk to you. Mm. And so I've started posting things because I wanted to be a part of the conversation. I wanted to be a part of the change and I wanted people to see what's going on and the reality of not even just my life because it's not about me or the Baguma family as a singular person, but like the reality that my husband faces or the reality that my boys will face. Um, and so I'm educating myself and trying to help others learn too. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that the whole George Floyd thing just, um, something inside of me just said, it's time. Like it's time for you to be a person of grace and a person who wants to be a part of the conversation. Hmm. That's quite a burden. Thank you so much for wow. being vulnerable with us. And, You're welcome. And I know that that's not easy, um, but I, I personally appreciate it a ton that you would be vulnerable and, and share with us really what's on your heart, you know, and I see that. And I see the attitude of Jesus in you. And it's, Thank you. Yeah, I think that that righteous Kind, there is a time for that righteous anger of like, no, this is actually an evil. Like, and and there are times where we need to stand up to things that are evil, um, and to do it with with grace, like you're talking about. But nevertheless, to stand up, and I see you doing that. And um, I just want to. I don't have anything else to say other than that. That thank you. It's a beautiful thing to see. Thank so, you. Yeah, but I'm also sure it's. It's tiring and it's exhausting. You know, it's, I mean, it's been a very, very long season and, uh, you know, it's, it's just hard. I mean, you know, when you and I talked about doing this podcast, we were like, you know, I, I think I said this to Chloe and Zippy too, and I've said this to other podcast guests, I was like, just think about it. If you do this podcast, you hopefully it saves you 40 to 50. <laughs> I mean, do, where do you, I mean, where do you feel like you're at with, a, obviously there's a passion because this is my children and passion's probably not even the right word. There's an advocacy, but just honestly, like, what are you feeling? I think that's a very loaded question to ask a pregnant lady what she's feeling. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, my, my wife's pregnant right now yes, too. So, so, uh, yes. so yeah, I, I, I can relate to that. So you're ready, you're ready for this answer. <laughs> um, I would say that, you know, in our own strength, like there was a time that I kind of took a step back from posting, um, anything on Facebook 
because I just feel like Facebook isn't necessarily the place to have these conversations. And so, but at the same time, we're in the middle of a pandemic and we're not spending a lot of time with people. And so it's kind of like finding the balance of wanting to engage in these conversations, but also not putting yourself out there for people that are filled with the anger and don't understand and think that judging your motives, right? And so, I mean, people probably judge me all day long and that's fine. But where I'm at is I have to renew myself every day in the calling that God has placed on my life. Has marrying a black man in this society been challenging? Absolutely. But would I ever change it? I would never. And so this is what God has called me to in my life. And do I feel tired? Sure, at times. Do I feel like the conversations are repeating themselves? Sure, at times. But if I become tired or if I become annoyed Mm -hmm. at people from asking the same questions, I feel like I'm doing a disservice Mm. to being a change for what I want for my children. Mm. And so I feel like you have to really know the person that's coming to talk to you. Mm. And based on the way someone asks you a question, you know where their heart's at. Like, if they're coming at you and they want to fight with you about it, I'm probably not going to be a part of that conversation. But if you want to come at me and have an honest conversation and we can learn together and become better, then that's what I want to do. And so I feel like I can't get tired and I can't back out because we need to change. And Hmm. for right now, this is what God has called me to. And I can't give up. You know, I, I think a lot about my family. Um, this isn't a perfect comparison, but I think that there's some, just some similarities. So my sister's seven years old, develops cancer. She survives. So just, we need to go there. Because whenever I tell this story, my wife says, make sure you tell them right away. She survived. <laughs> She's great. She's older than me, uh, smarter than me. But, um, you know, she has cancer. And, you know, I, I think the most powerful story is, you know, someone comes up to my dad or to my mom and dad at church and just says, you know, if you would have had more faith, your daughter wouldn't have got cancer. And I'll never forget, you know, my pastor, um, he looked like Yoda, like he just had that aura about him, Italian. And, you know, with three or four elders takes this gentleman to the back, you know, office and that Man never came back to church again. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, you know, he could be on the bottom of some lake right now. I, I, I mean, know. I don't know. I don't know. Just, just <laughs> saying. That's question. Maybe he came back. I, yeah. I obviously I was like two or three, so I don't remember. I'm just hearing. But you know, when parents have kids that have cancer, there's just there's an advocacy that just goes beyond. Like, I want to make sure my daughter's getting proper care. I want to make sure. And, and like, we applaud that. We don't always understand it. And, you know, again, it's not a perfect comparison, but I just keep thinking about you and what you're going through. 
Like, I just see it as there's this healthy advocate. Like, you don't understand what it's like to walk in my shoes. You don't understand. And throughout this whole episode, that's basically been the conversation is, and this is kind of the changing point where it's like, you know what? I mean, even for me as a pastor, I'm sitting here and I'm like, you know what? There's there's a lot of political debates, mm-hmm. you know, and you can talk about policy and we can go there, but nothing's ever going to change until you can sit with someone and be able to listen and not just listen to ask questions, but to be able to listen and say, I, I don't completely understand, but let me just try to let me just try to reframe back to you what you just said to me. Do I get it? And like, I, I just I feel like with racism, people just won't do that. You know, and I even think about, you know, my sister with cancer, you know, growing up every year we went from Binghamton to Syracuse to, you know, because that's where she got her cancer treatments about an hour away. I don't think people understood the anxiety and the, is it ever going to come back, you know, and, and with racism, like kind of what you said, it's like, I've got to think about my sons turning 16 years old driving, you know, what could happen, you know, and wherever you are there there has to be some willingness to kind of say i'm going to go into that space yeah mm. what a what a beautiful conversation and uh man i feel like we could sit here for another hour and a half or two hours just i i feel like i just want to ask you more questions <laughs> and just hear more of your heart um but for the sake of brevity today uh <laughs> Maybe let's just end with this question that we always like to uh, end on, and that is, what would Jesus have to say about this topic? So, yeah, we'll let you answer last. Okay. Because, quite frankly, you're going to be the most eloquent of any of us, <laughs> so we'll let you do that. And uh, Peter and I will go before that, so, sure. Pedro, you will go for it? Sure. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about this episode and I was thinking about the inter, uh, interracial relationships in the Bible because there's, there's a few. You've got um, Moses and Zipporah. You have uh, Ruth and Boaz. And, um, you know, even in Jesus's line, there's Rahab, who's not Jewish. Um, there's Ruth, who's not Jewish. And, and throughout this whole conversation... The Bible is just implicitly clear, like the love of God breaks down any cultural challenges ever, Mm. you know, and, uh, you know, I, I think about the story, you know, I loved when you talked about sin because we don't want a theology of sin until someone sins against us. And so in some ways, like, it's just helpful because, you know, I think about, you know, Moses' sister Miriam makes this comment about Zipporah and, you know, read it for yourself. So I'll just put it to you that way. <laughs> if any of us were Moses, we'd probably be that angry. And, um, you know, I just think about, I just want to commend you as friends, how much you and David are living out the gospel and what a joy it is to see your boys just live as joyful, wonderful image bearers. And, uh, 
you know, the last thing I'll say, because I could probably go on and stuff. But, um, you know, my little daughter, we went and visited. We were socially distancing the Bagumas, you know, and we just walked over and said hello. And, uh, you know, we're we're in the car. And, you know, for a two-year-old to sit there and say, when are we going to see Lucas, Aiden, and Micah? And she always says, Micah Baguma. <laughs> Micah, but when are we going to... And uh, I just would encourage all of you, There, there's hope right now, and there's hope for the next generation. Mm. I love that. Uh, I think of what Jesus would say. I think of his interaction with the Samaritan woman is kind of setting a, an example in this, you know? I mean here's somebody that that culturally he should have had nothing to do with and yet he crosses cultures to go be a physical presence with this woman and i think he does that not just for himself but as an example for all of us and for his disciples who were right there whose minds were blown by the fact that jesus would sit there with this woman that he should not have been sitting there with and um, I think about what you even shared, Heidi, like your desire for your relationship. And I think most people now, when they think about a relationship, it's what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. But you're describing something that's a much bigger picture than that. Like God is teaching me this so that I can have an impact over here. And our relationship, Jesus is going to use in this way. It's not about you. It's about what he's doing through you. Mm. And um, I think that's what Jesus wants to do with all of our relationships. And maybe even, dare I say, specifically these type of relationships, he might use in ways that we never even imagined if we're willing to lean into him. So um, anyway... Would you close us with whatever you would have us, whatever you think Jesus would say? About you grew, you grew up in a ministry family, yeah, you know. Take us home, Billy Graham. You know. <laughs> I think it's simple. I think that you treat others how you want to be treated. Mm. I mean, it's in Luke six. I had to write it down so I would remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's something that I teach my children and. I think if a four and a five-year-old can understand what it feels like to not be treated the way you want to be treated, then us as a society, if we would take our eyes off of ourselves, and if we would, as Christians, focus our eyes on Jesus and love like Jesus would. I mean, he loved unconditionally and he loved without. It didn't matter if you were the Samaritan woman or if you were a leper or he went to those places and he loved those people so well. And so if we can love people and treat people how we would want to be treated and love them like Jesus, I think that's what he would want us to do. Wow. Um, Heidi, thank you for this wonderful episode. Uh, you can find us at whygodwhypodcast.com. Uh, please share this episode. It's hashtag WGWpodcast. Um, you know, y'all can, we'll be tagging Heidi to this post. So when you see it go up, you'll be able to find it. Uh, make sure you leave us a review um, on your podcast app. And uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Why God Why podcast.